Well, good morning. I want to thank you for being with us today. We're in part 13 of our series called Reflecting the Light. We are walking through the book of John. And in the book of John, at the very beginning, he speaks about Jesus being the light of the world. And we are to reflect him. Our whole year is centered around the fact that we need to love and lead the way Jesus did. We are disciples that need to be making disciples around us and sharing the love of Christ everywhere that we go. So we're using the book of John and we're studying the things that Jesus did, the things that he said. We're currently in John chapter 5. We're going to be wrapping up John chapter 5 today. And this is a kind of a I don't even know what you, it's not really a discourse. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and it's one of the few times in Scripture where we see Jesus defend who he is and kind of show who he is to the larger public. Now, he did it in private settings with his disciples many times. But this is to the religious leaders. He's explaining, and last week we looked at the relationship that Jesus had with God the Father, and He is a reflection of the Father, and then we talked about how we are a reflection of the Son. So, we saw that relationship develop. The second half of that conversation that He has, He switches gears. He kind of takes it almost to a courtroom-type setting. He uses courtroom language to define this. That's why I entitled this message, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? Because in Jewish times, There needed to be, and if you go back into the Bible and you go all the way back to Moses and his writings, there had to be two or more witnesses to a crime for somebody to be convicted of it, especially specifically murder, things like that. They needed two or more witnesses to confirm that it was. That way nobody could just come in and say, hey, I saw so-and-so do this, and then they would be arrested for whatever or even killed, you know, tried and killed. But there needed to be other witnesses to the fact that that happened. And Jesus is showing who he is. He's talking about that. So let's look at John chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 47. And if you remember, Jesus, the religious leaders had kind of come against him because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. And they were like, hey, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. And, And he's kind of explaining who he is and why he can do the things that he does. And trying to give the religious leaders the right perspective on who God is and the heart of God, not the rules and regulations that they've made because they think that's what God wants, but actually who God is. And so let's look at this in John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. Let's look at that. It says, If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything that he says about me is true. In fact, you send investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message, But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracle. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they proved that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe in me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they will give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come and receive this life. 
Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it it isn't I who accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Again, Jesus approaches this conversation in a courtroom type way, talking about the witnesses to who he is, that look, he's not even just testifying about himself, but look at who testified to who he is. And that's what we're gonna look at for just a moment is the witnesses for Jesus. That's the first point today, and we've got four of them that he points out. The first being John the Baptist. We talked about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. He did not know exactly who Jesus or that Jesus was the Messiah until later on, but John the Baptist testified to who Jesus is. So I want to look at, you know, it says verses in verses 32 and 33, but someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me is true. Now, we, in the very beginning of this series, going back to like week two or three, I don't remember exactly when it was, we looked at John the Baptist and the reason that he was there and the purpose that he had. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. John was a prophet Remember, there had not been a prophet in Israel for more than 400 years. And then John the Baptist comes and he preaches about repenting and turning your hearts back to God. And he caused quite a stir. The religious leaders were like, oh, this is good. But then he also talked to the religious leaders, called them vipers, really said some pretty rough things because they didn't understand about relationship with God. They knew about rules, they knew about legalism, but they didn't really understand about relationship with God. And this is often the case. People would love a prophet until the prophet said something they didn't want to hear or said something that hit a little too close to home, and then they would reject them. So what did John testify about Jesus? I want you to flip over to Matthew for this. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to look at verses 11 through 12. But we're going to look at what John said about Jesus. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Now, jump down to verse 11. It says, I baptize with water, still John the Baptist talking, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave or to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John's purpose 
was to prepare the way for Jesus. He began to point people's hearts towards God, to get their minds back. Look, 400 years, there had not been a voice for God. Now, going back through the Old Testament, you see God would raise up prophets and judges and those that would lead Israel and speak to Israel and be a voice to God. But there was silence for so many years. And people began to wander. Do you know that, that when you, if you don't read your Bible for a while, if you don't spend time in church, you begin to wander away from the things that God's taught you. They're kind of there in the background, but you kind of wander away from them. Well, this was multiple generations that had not heard the voice of God. They had the scriptures, they had the synagogue, they had the religious leaders, but very few really understood. And so they kind of walked away. Matthew pointed out that John was the fulfillment of Isaiah being that way to prepare. He was that witness, the first witness. John testified to who Jesus is. And John, he, he baptized Jesus. And he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him. And, the, and God had told him, the one that my Holy Spirit descends upon is the one that is the Son of God, the promised Messiah. He knew that about Jesus and he testified to him. The second testif- testimony or witness to who Jesus is, is his own teachings and miracles. And I'm talking about Jesus here. And Jesus points to that. Look at verse 36. He says, For I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. Jesus was given the authority to heal. He was given the authority to do things like turning water into wine, which is the first miracle, feeding 5,000, which we're going to talk about next week. These things, these signs, these wonders, these miracles proved that the power of God was in him. Actually, you see if you study the the New Testament, I don't have these passages in here, but some of those that were the religious leaders that were trying to hold on to power, trying to discredit Jesus, said, well, it's the spirit of Satan that's allowing him to cast demons out. And Jesus tells them, like, can Satan fight against Satan? That doesn't even make any sense. He was given this power to be a witness to who he is. Not only did John the Baptist say, hey, this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, but we also have what he did, his miracles, the supernatural things that Jesus did. He spoke a word and somebody was healed. Didn't he have to be there? We talked about some of those healings, spitting on the ground, making mud on the eyes, walking by and telling somebody to get up and walk. Forgiveness of sin. There was so much that Jesus did that testified that he was the Son of God. Now, I want you to put something in your head for just a minute. They didn't have social media, internet, or any of those things. So things would spread by word of mouth, and word of mouth moved pretty quickly, but it was nothing like what we have today. You might be thinking, well, if Jesus is doing all these things, why didn't everybody in the world know about it? Well, they didn't have the technology for everybody in the world to know about it. Information traveled much slower than it does today. So there would be a buzz, and then if you've ever played the telephone game, you ever do that? You, you start out, and you get a group of people in a circle, and you give them a word or a phrase, and they're supposed to repeat that word or phrase to the person next to them, 
and they're supposed to repeat it to the next of them and it goes around the circle and it comes back to the original person. And the funny thing is to see how it gets distorted between where it started and where it ends up. It's never the same message all the way around. And when that happens, word of mouth sometimes happen that way. These things about Jesus would get distorted. And, and so it was all this kind of confusion. But his teachings and his miracles showed who he was. The third witness, the Father himself. Verse 37, it says, And the Father who sent me testified about me. You never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you don't have his message in your hearts because you don't believe in me, the one he sent to you. The Father testified to Jesus. The most notable place is found back in Matthew chapter 3. Now, for those of you that don't know Scripture very well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a part of what's known as the synoptic gospels, the three gospels that follow very much the same stories and pattern, although they're written from three different perspectives. Matthew was a tax collector. Luke was a physician. Mark was a young guy, disciple of Paul, well, he's a disciple of Jesus, but Paul, and he wrote from a totally different perspective in a much quicker way. He was one of the first ones to write it, but they all wrote from basically the same stories, the same kind of filters, I guess, or not filters, but plan in writing. John was completely different. He's the fourth gospel. But in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. That's John the Baptist seeing that. And this is the part that I want you to see in verse 17. It says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. God the Father just said, audibly from heaven to those that were there for Jesus' baptism. Now, I realize that's only going to be probably maybe at most a few hundred people. He testified, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased, or who brings me great joy. So we have the witness of John the Baptist. We have the miracles and the healings that Jesus did that also witnessed to him. We have, this, um, we have God the Father speaking audibly from heaven. This is my son. The fourth thing is the scriptures. The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures that have been there Moses wrote, you know, the first five books, and there were the prophets, and all those that were written throughout that time, the histories of Israel, speak to who Jesus is. There were so many different scriptures that foretold things about Jesus' life. Really, particularly the book of Daniel and Isaiah, Malachi, all speak of Jesus. Deuteronomy, we're, gonna, we're not going to go into all of those, but the scriptures that talk about it. In verse 39, um, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And what he's telling the religious leaders is that if you really understood the scriptures, if you were really looking at the hints that were there, you'd see me. You'd understand that I fulfill those things. Multiple, multiple scriptures that we don't have time to go into today. Talk about that. They studied, they understood the Old Testament. If you were a religious leader, you were somebody from the very early age, you'd be picked up at like age 12, 
and you would be mentored by a rabbi and taught the law, the Torah, you would know it, you could quote it. You could have all this information and wisdom, but yet they didn't know. Look at verses 45 through 46. Jesus said, Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you'd believe in me because he wrote about me. Now, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote those first five books. They're known as the Pentateuch. If you really wanted a word and can sound like you know something, Pentateuch. Nobody else is going to know it except for people that have studied Scripture like that. But the first five books, they showed the creation. They showed the creating of the law. They showed the exodus of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and the miracles that God did to bring them to the promised land. It's all documented there. But in Deuteronomy, Moses was giving Israel kind of this history. The main generation that had come out of Egypt had died off in the wilderness because they didn't trust God. And there's this new generation that's about to enter the promised land. And Moses has given them the synopsis of the history in the book of Deuteronomy. But this is what he says in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 16. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you yourselves requested from the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, Don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore and see this blazing fire, for we will die. See, that was talking about Jesus, the raising up of that prophet. They looked at Jesus. They didn't know exactly. They didn't have the term Messiah necessarily in some of those scriptures, but those were pointing towards Jesus. Moses said, there's one that's coming that's going to be like me, but it's going to be a while now that's going to speak to who God is. Old Testament scripture pointed to the virgin birth, pointed to how Jesus would die, how he would suffer. There was a lot of scripture in there that pointed to Jesus as being the Messiah. I think many times we get so caught up in what we know and what we think we know that we don't see what's right before us. I think it's what happened to the religious leaders. I don't believe that all the religious leaders were about power and authority. I think that some were. I think the ones that Jesus spoke out to the most. But others were just deceived by their own thinking. They thought they had it all figured out. They had been trained in this way. There was an arrogance and a pride that they had it all figured out. And so they, they were not filtering things correctly, which leads to the second half of this and where I kind of want to land with this, clouded judgment. They had clouded judgment by the way that they would think. They did not have a clear understanding of who God is. They had a clear understanding of who they thought God was. But they didn't really know Him. They didn't have a relationship with Him, and they hadn't heard His voice in so long that... You know, when you start to hear other rabbis and other teachers teaching certain things, they began to believe the man-made things just as much as they did the Scripture, sometimes even more so in the interpretation of the Scripture. So sometimes when we read Scripture, we filter it through our own understanding. Look at verses 39 through 44. It says, You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. 
Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe me, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. This clouded way of thinking. Now, whether you like Christian movies or TV or not, I'm not going to worry about that. But The Chosen, if you've ever heard about it, does a good job of portraying this. There's a a religious leader, Nicodemus, that's in this, and he's going to talk to um, John the Baptist. He's just kind of this, he represents the Pharisees in that series. And you see this point where he's wrestling with the things that he's seen. He's not sure, and he's actually trying to figure out if Jesus, who Jesus is and who John the Baptist is. They show him that well, but he's going to visit in a couple of the scenes, he's going into a place where this lady is possessed by demons, and it's an area of town that he wouldn't even walk through because he was a religious leader. There was a caste system, an elitism, and the religious leaders didn't really interact or mingle with average people. They were above that. There was an arrogance, a pride, a hierarchy. They didn't have the heart of God. They didn't love God. They didn't do the things that Jesus talked about where the first will be last and the last will be first in serving. They didn't understand that. That went against what they were taught. Their minds were clouded to who God is. And like I said, they did a good job in Chosen of portraying him because I think he was somebody that really wanted to know who God was but was caught up in this system that was taught about all these rules and regulations and the things they thought they knew about God. But they really didn't know him, this clouded way of thinking. It's an easy trap for us to fall into. In our modern day, we see it. We see it all the time. People have fallen into this trap for generations and generations. We like to to really look down on the Pharisees, and we should for the things that they did. But many of us fall into that same trap. We listen to podcasts, we watch YouTube videos, we read books, and we give honor to those people that write those books and put out those podcasts, and we let them shape our judgment. Sometimes they're good people and they're talking about good things, but we let them shape our judgment and the way we think. And we put more stock in the people that write the books than the actual scripture that they're supposed to be writing about. And so we begin to, in a way, worship people or put them in a place of honor above God's own word. I want you to think about this. This is is something that has happened throughout generations. That's how cults and misused ideas are formed. They take elements of Scripture and they twist them to to fit their own thinking. And people blindly follow them because they see, oh, that came out of the Bible, so that must be the way God thinks. And they don't look at Scripture as a whole. Man, it's happened throughout history. And people have gotten caught up in it. I want you to think about it for a minute. Ku Klux Klan. One of the darkest parts of Southern history. They believed that they were following God, that they had Scripture to back up what they said, and they did. Think about the cults 
that people have followed people in the name of God and even in the name of Christianity that had none of the love of God in them. They are cults. They don't represent the heart of God. They take Scripture and they use it to prove their point. Well, look, I can prove a lot of things out of Scripture that aren't the heart of God because I take it out of context. And that hurts people. That's why we can't follow any one person or church or book or whatever that may be. Now, yes, you need to be a member of a church. I think it's biblical. Hebrews talks about that. You need to be a part of a body of believers. I'm your pastor. And maybe you're new and I'm not your pastor and you're like, well, this guy's crazy. That's okay. I'm your pastor. But even I can say and do things that miss the heart of God sometimes. And you need to have a proper understanding of who God is. Don't just blindly follow everything I say or do. Look it up for yourselves. There's a gentleman that many of you online have never met. His name is Mike. He's been coming to our church the last couple years. I love Mike. You know why? Because I know that Mike goes home on a daily basis after he hears the message and he digs into the scripture. And when we get together on Thursdays for our men's group, oftentimes he's telling me the things that he dug into that were beyond what I even talked about and sometimes helps correct some things that I may have missed. He does a very good job of it. Man, I love that. Sometimes it's scary because I'm like, did I get it wrong? Because even I can miss it. But God has given us tools to do this. We're, see, we're called to reflect the light. We're called to reflect Jesus. We're not called to reflect the author of a book. We're not called to reflect that personality that's on the podcast or the YouTube video. Or, Man, think about this. Think about politics for a minute. I know we shouldn't talk about politics, but think about how celebrities come in and endorse politicians and use their celebrity to endorse things that maybe they don't even know anything about. We give people platforms and we give them influence without any foundation. We do it in the church world too, and that's what was happening with the Pharisees. They were put up here on this pedestal without any foundation they would talk about the scriptures, but they'd twist the scriptures, just like what they did with the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, Jesus told us, but they had made it a burden. Man, it was a burden to you couldn't even, man, you couldn't pick up your bedroll on the Sabbath and carry it from one place to another because that was wrong. Who comes up with this stuff? All these rules and regulations that had nothing to do with the heart of God. Now, God took the Sabbath very seriously, and yes, you were not to work. But they made things that weren't work into rules and burdens for people. So you had the religious leaders doing this. Again, we're called to reflect the light. So God wants to use us to help other people grow. That's why it's important for us to be rooted in a foundation. I say this all the time. I could end every message with this, and I do a lot of times because it's that important. I prayed one time and said, God, why do you always have me preach on the same things? Why do you always have me do the same things? He said, I will, I'll have you change it when they get it. So we got to get this. 
And we preach through the scripture, and then we preach through the scripture the way we do because we don't want to miss anything. We don't want to take anything out of context. That's why you can go all the way back through all the previous 12 weeks, and it leads to where we are, this journey of studying Jesus. So here's the tools for us to use. The Word of God. Study the Word of God. Get to know it. Again, you're not going to understand everything. It's easy to take things out of context. way you need to read the whole of the Word of God. Study it. There are commentaries. There are things to help you. And when you have questions, write them down. Ask people that you know to help you learn them. Then, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you through. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, so we could understand. So that we would know what lines up with Him. He will give us a peace about it. He will guide us through that journey. Then we have prayer, spending time with God the Father, knowing His heart. Remember, the greatest commandments: to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the heart of God, is to love people and to bring them to Him. God is not about pushing people away from Him. God hates the condemnation and judgment. Now, He does it at the last judgment for those that don't yield to Him. But he gives, he gives every opportunity for us to come under His authority and to submit to Him and to learn about Him and to have relationship with Him. God wants us to have relationship. He calls us in Ephesians, we're adopted to be His children. Not His slaves, not His puppets, His children. We develop that relationship with the Word of God through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit giving us discernment and helping us with it, and through having a group of people to be accountable to. The reason I like studying Scripture in a group is oftentimes in a group there'll be some opposing ideas that kind of stretch us. There are gray areas in Scripture that are hard for us to understand that aren't just black and white. We work through those things Scripture tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What that means is, is that we have on respect of God and that we want to do what is right for Him. We want to understand it the best way that we can. I can tell you this, after studying the life of Jesus and as we continue to do this, His big things were to love people. He spoke harsh words, or not really even harsh, hard words for the Pharisees, because not because He wanted to condemn them, because he wanted them to change their way of thinking to actually see who he is so that they too could be saved. So they would not die in their own piousness and pride, but that they would know who he is. That's always why God does what he does. So that we could know who he is. So that we could be a part of his family, that none would perish. That's his goal. That's our goal. We are to reflect Him. We're to study the Word of God. We're to learn about who He is and use every opportunity we have to reflect Him, not to reflect other people. Look, Kennesaw Family Life Church, I love our church. I think it's great. I would rather you be known more for being a great Christ follower than a great person that attends Kennesaw Family Life Church. The church is where we meet and celebrate. It's our family. But our mission is to reflect the light of Jesus everywhere we go. So I want to pray over you right now. I want to pray that God will break through barriers in your heart and your life so that you can understand God fully. Because that's all He desires from you. He doesn't want to condemn anyone. 
He wants to have relationship with you. And He wants you to move closer to closer, closer and closer. It's a long journey. It takes a lifetime for us to get there. All of us, it takes a lifetime to get there. Maybe you're living with clouded judgment, kind of like the Pharisees. Allow God to cleanse you right now. Allow the Holy Spirit to come in and help you with that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have clear minds. That we would see you clearly. That we would understand your word. That we would hide it in our hearts. That we would love the way you love. That we would care about the things that you care about. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling. Maybe they've been deceived. Maybe there's been some things in their life that has made it difficult. Lord, I pray that you would clear those things out, that you would move them closer and closer to you today. And Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit out into our lives. Help us to reflect you everywhere we go. And Lord, when they see us, they see you. They see the gifts, the talents, the abilities that you've given us. They see the personality that you've put into us. And they see you flowing out of us. Lord, we're your children. We reflect you. And you made us each individually and beautifully. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you go before us, that you would change us from the inside out. Move on our hearts today. Lord, forgive us for the sin that we have. Forgive us for the ways that we've tried to put other things before you, try to figure it out on our own. And Lord, help us to know you and love you more. And help us to love the people around us the way you do. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to worship with us today. Again, if you need more time in prayer, if you have questions, click on the prayer button. It'll open that private window to our host. They will help you. They will guide you. If they can't answer the question now, they'll take down your information so they can answer it later. We love you, and we hope to see you again next week. Have a great week.